Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here. I'm coming to you from Southern California where it is sunny and warm. And joining me from somewhere in Spain, he's going to tell me where exactly, is your co-host Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother. Happy holidays to every fellow Kule. I'm currently in Madrid. I'm back I'm back in Madrid. I was in the Pueblo, uh, Placencia, which is southwest of Spain. But I just got back today, back to Madrid, where it is cold and rainy. So... Here we are. So that's a quick trip. Yeah, what a quicker trip than I thought it was. Yeah, be. because usually Christmas is very short. You know, like a holiday here, it's only celebrated the twenty fourth and twenty fifth, and usually you just hang out with your family, and then everyone just kind of goes back. Then they go back for Reyes, which is on the sixth, and so that's when that's the bigger holiday where they'll it'll be a longer uh, holiday. So I was nice to get away. I uh, went to Placencia with my friend's family and. Yeah, it was really good. They have a lot of free tapas, which is always nice. I sent you the picture of the. Yeah, <laughs> I sent you the picture. So much yeah, free we ham. We went to this bar where <laughs> they just gave us some beer, and it was just free ham everywhere, and it was just amazing. So, can't argue with free ham. No, you cannot. And that ham looked really good, and it was. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been traveling. I, I was in San Francisco, and then we came down the night before Christmas Eve on this uh, this. It's so San Francisco, man. It's a bus that you sleep on, and there's these sleeper pods. So you get to lay down, and you get your own little coffin that opens to the side, and that's where you get to sleep. It's called Ride Cabin, and it seemed like a nice idea, and I think it could work for some people, but it was really tough to get to sleep. And it's just and the, the funny thing is it goes from one place in San Francisco to one place in Santa Monica. That is it. So it's very niche what this company does, but we thought we would give it a try to get from Bay Area down to L.A. Of course, once we get to Santa Monica in the morning, we have to get 50 miles inland to get to my my mother's house where I'm going to be staying. So my aunt was very nice. She came out, picked us up at 7 in the morning in Santa Monica and took us back out there. But I wouldn't not recommend this bus company. So if you are traveling from L.A. to San Francisco or the other way, check out Ride Cabin. It's it's okay, but just know that you might have some trouble getting to sleep because it's a bumpy ride. But that's what's been going on with me, and I am actually recording right now from a room in my mom's house. I'm looking at palm trees and blue skies. It's beautiful because, you know, lately I've been used to Buffalo where it's just dreary and snowy and cold. So at least I'm here. That's nice. Yeah, that sounds nice. I mean, I would, you know, it's been rainy and really cold here, so... I would kill for some blue skies and some sun and t-shirt weather for sure. So 
Uh, I'm jealous of you right now in the nice area of Southern California, enjoying the nice weather there. Yeah, you are. Well, okay, so let's get into the show now. Uh, we're going to give you an update on Barca B and FCB Femini, but this episode is pretty much wall-to-wall Classico review. And um, I had the chance to interview the president of the San Francisco Pena, Matt Manson, and the vice president, Joe Dixon. We had a really nice chat the evening before the match. I'll tell you more about that later on, just before we play the interview. But yeah, we're mostly going to be talking about the Classico, obviously. Now, we are also on holiday schedule. So this episode is going to come out on late Tuesday or Wednesday morning. Normally, we come out on Mondays. The next episode is also going to be out on a Wednesday. That'll be January 3rd. And it will mostly be a recap of the year so far. We're going to go back into the Barca Talk vaults over the last 20-plus episodes we've put out this season, and we're going to track the progress of our ideas about Polly for, for one thing, and we're going to track some other stories, too, in that episode. And in that episode, we will also have our scouting reports, you know, match previews for the Copa del Rey match with Celta and Levante in La Liga. But first, before we get to any of that, I got a message from you, Gabriel, a couple nights before the Classico that just said, I think I saw David Villa tonight. So so what's the story? We, we agreed that we would talk about this. Yeah, so it was pretty crazy. So I have a good friend of mine who works for the U.S. Embassy. And one of the perks is that she gets NyQuil because we do not have NyQuil here <laughs> in Madrid. And I, you know, when you're sick, it's one of the best things to have so you can fall asleep really easy. So my friend, she's like, I have some NyQuil for you. I was like, perfect, going over a place. So I was going over a place, and I'm, there's nobody on this really major street, and there's a nice hotel right there. And I was just kind of like, I don't know, I was texting a friend, uh, listening to music kind of a thing. There was nobody on the street, and I just like almost ran into David Villa and his wife, right? <laughs> and he kind of like looks at me, and I look at him. But then I just kind of keep walking, and I do like a and I do like a double take, and I go like my mind just didn't process, you know. And I was just like, "Wait, hold on, I think that's yeah." I, wait, hold on, and I just like double check again. I look again, and I go, first of all, he's a little bit shorter than I thought." And then I go, "Okay, it is David Villa," and I started turning around to go like approach him, and he just jumped in a cab and took off. So then when I texted you, I was like, I think it was him. And then I went immediately on Twitter because I was like, I wanted to make sure if he was in Madrid or not. And I couldn't find any confirmation. But later I found out he was. So I think it was pretty, I'm like 98.7% sure it was David Villa that I almost basically clotheslined. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's used to that. Yeah, yeah. So it was funny because like, you know, it's on this major street. And at this moment, for some reason, there was nobody walking on the major street. And I think if there was more people, I think there would have been more of a commotion. But I think because it was cold, it was a little bit later at night, there was nobody around. Like, he just went straight to the cab. And and, and it was just funny. I just kind of looked at him. He looked at me. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, is that David Villa? And, yeah, it was. And I should have been more proactive. I've been like, oh, come uh, give us a thumbs up for Barca talk, you know, or something stupid like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you missed your opportunity. But that's that's okay, you know, when you're confronted with – the people who you've really only seen on TV before, and especially in a situation like that, you know, you, you can't always be counted on to, to do the uh, the right thing. I'm using air quotes, the right thing. Sometimes you just don't know how to deal with that situation. Plus, you don't, you never know because like, people do look different in real life and it, it might take you a second. And just like in your case, it took that few extra seconds. And in that window, you just there it was. He was gone like a 
like a leprechaun. Exactly, totally like a leprechaun. <laughs> like I, I was just not expecting to see him. You know, I was just minding my own business, and the last thing I would expect to is to see David Villa. But at the same time, I don't. I'm not really a person to go up to someone famous. Brian, I've met a lot of famous people. I just don't like take selfies with them. But I just think it's cooler if you don't. Like you just see them, and okay, that's great. But you know, I just. But for this Barca talk, I definitely would have taken a picture with him just to put it on the Facebook page, and it would have been really cool. Yeah, if I didn't have this podcast, I don't think I would have any interest in getting a selfie with with a any footballer at all. But you know, since we do have this podcast, it would be good for us, right? But uh, yeah, generally, it's way cooler to just say like, yeah, I saw that person or I met that person. It wasn't a big deal. It's not a big deal. They're just a normal person. Exactly. Just really good at football. And I, I probably would have just screamed out like, Maravilla! Or something like this, you know? Just to like, you know, make yeah. sure he knew I knew who he was kind of a thing. But yeah. So that was that was a really funny story. And again, I I just confirmed it on Saturday, Sunday, that it was him based on Twitter that he was in Spain and in Madrid. So I'm... I'm 90, like I said, 98.6% sure it was him. All right, well, let's move on. Now, we're going to get into the Classico in just a few minutes, but like we do, we want to keep you abreast of the goings-on with the B team and the women's team. So first off, with the women's side, FCB Femini have not played since our last episode. They're already on holiday break, and they'll be back in action on January 7th against Levante in Barcelona, continuing their campaign in the Liga Femenina. They are neck and neck with Atletico in the league, both with 37 points. And Levante are not far behind in the table. They're sitting at fourth with 25 points. That's a pretty big spread from the top of the table to fourth place, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, again, that just shows you the distance of talent between all the teams in that league. Again, it's going to be a you know head-to-head race with Atletico. But, again, 25-point disparity, that's pretty, pretty big. Yeah, now everyone should be rested up from the holidays, and I think it would prove to be a pretty tough match, but uh, they've had a great season, our women, losing only one game and drawing one so far. They've also conceded only five goals and scored 52, which is almost 20 more goals than Atletico have scored. Yeah, really impressive by the women. Again, like we talked about, they just have to keep pace the whole season, win their games, and again, when they clash with Atletico to get those three points because that's going to be huge not only for the league but also for the head-to-head goal differential. Yeah, I mean, the one loss they had was against Granadilla, which is a pretty small side. So that was one of those kind of like sleeper losses, and uh, I I can't help but feel like that was a big blow for them ultimately because the only other non-win they've had so far was the draw with Atletico. And and that's not too shocking, but uh, yeah, that loss against Granadilla, that kind of messed things up. Then again, you know, they're just barely halfway through their season, still plenty of points to to play for. And I think if they can just keep up the performance that they've been having, they could definitely pull it out. But you're right. Everything is, of course, we've said this week after week, everything is going to come down to the next leg against Atletico. And the good thing is that they're going to be playing in Barcelona. So that's going to give them a bit of an advantage there. So we'll see how the, the season uh, shapes up at the end of the year. But I, I'm feeling confident that they win, they will win the league. Yeah, I'm feeling good about that, too, and I just hope we can get as many – well, I can't make it, but I, I hope that the uh, the stadium in Barcelona is as full as possible for that Atletico match especially. I think they're going to need the uh, the 12th woman on that one. 
Now, the boys in the B team, uh, they have not been doing so well. Um, their last match against Albacete, that ended one nothing in Albacete's favor. So despite having as many as five strikers on at times, Barca just could not penetrate Albacete's defense. They had uh, Barca had the majority of possession, of course, but they just couldn't get through in the danger areas. Again, this is going to be a difficult season for Barca B. We've been talking about this the whole season. Again, we just want them to stay up. They just have to get some points between their next rival, right, against the 18th place team, the 16th place team, just to kind of leapfrog them through the season. But again, if they can just pull a victory here every two matches or every three matches and a tie there, they'll be able to keep pace and to be to stay into the Segunda division. Again, it's going to be really difficult again because we always say they're playing against men who are, you know, some teams have just been relegated. They have a lot more resources in that the players are much better, older, faster, and stronger. It's just a learning process for Barca B, and hopefully they can just stay up. Again, like we're going to document every week, hopefully they can just get another victory every two or three weeks. Yeah, and I mean, pretty... It- it all averages out that they've essentially gotten a draw every game. That's not how it how it actually played out. But they're in 19th place right now with 20 points in just as many matches. So it's as if they've just drawn every single game. They're on the verge of relegation, but there are still plenty of points to play for. And the table is so tight right now, it would only take a win here and there and just continuing to draw for them to stay mid-table and stay in the second division. Exactly. Like, we just talked about the women with their point spread being so big between, you know, the four spots and everything. This is kind of the opposite. Between, you know, 15th, even 14th place at 20th, There's it's so tight. It's so tight. So, like, they just need, a, like we said, a couple points here and there, and they'll be fine. It's just, you know, again, it's a marathon. They just have to manage it. I hope the coach just keeps telling them we just have to have a match here or there, get some luck, and pull out a victory, and... They should be fine. I mean, I, I'm feeling confident that they'll stay up barring injuries. And as long as they can continue some sort of momentum, getting a couple victories here or there, they'll be able to stay up. It must be a really weird transition to go from the B team to the first team. Because right now in the B team, it's totally fine to be mid-table or lower end of the table, getting draws and the occasional win. But then you go to the first team and the expectation is that you win every week. I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen like that, and you you learn to deal with that. That's another professional skill. But really, the expectation in the first team is that it is your duty to win. It must be a real. That must be, I think, the one of the hardest things about moving from the B team to the first team. Yeah, I would I would agree, and, and it's one of those things that you know when you're a young player. That's just one of the things you just transition to learn and just develop. I mean, again, we always have to remind ourselves that these players are super young in the grand scheme of the team. You know, they're still like between 22 years old or less, you know, and these are just the type of things that they're going to develop and learn. And when they get those call ups for Copa del Rey or some, you know, if someone gets injured on the senior team, they have to take advantage, you know, learn how to be a professional and to try to translate that back to the Segunda and the Barca B team as well. Yeah. Now let's start shifting into the Classico. First off, since I knew I would be back in my adopted home of San Francisco for the game, I got in touch with Matt Manson, president of the San Francisco Peña, to see if we could do a little interview. And he was very accommodating. He's a really friendly guy, and he is all about 
his Pena. And since uh, they were going to be watching the game in an out-of-the-ordinary situation, I was present for the final planning meeting the night before the match, and I got to talk to both Matt and uh, his vice president of the Pena, Joe Dixon, and I also got to meet Buddy Rich, the guy who helped make this viewing event possible. He's the building manager at the place where we were watching the game, so he was handling all the technical aspects of getting the game up on the screen, getting the audio working, talking about access into the building because it was this really posh apartment building uh, for anyone who saw my Facebook live video leading up to the match. I, sh- I, took, I gave you a little bit of a tour around the rec room where we were going to be watching the game. That was up on the ninth floor of this really nice building with the concierge up front. And it was like a hotel. It kind of felt like, but uh, buddy rich was really great getting everything all set up for that. And the SF Pena in general, everyone there really great group of people. And it was a real pleasure to be able to watch the game with uh, with the SF Pena. And, uh, you know, normally I, I'm sitting in my house in Buffalo watching the game by myself. And even if I were to go out to a bar in Buffalo, I'd pretty much be by myself. So it was great to be watching the game with other fans again. There was one guy in particular. He clearly liked Barcelona a lot, but he really, really did not like Real Madrid. Every time they scored... <laughs> He was holding up he was holding up two barrels to the screen, just yelling at Real Madrid. <laughs> he really did not like them. He was a lot of fun to be around. And you just don't get that at home. <laughs> well, I don't get that at my home. But anyway, here's the interview with Matt and Joe. I'm here with Matt Manson and Joe Dixon, president and vice president of the San Francisco Pena. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thank you for having us. Matt, I want to start with you. I know a little bit about you from when I was living in San Francisco, and I talked to your brother Rob a couple of times back then. So you guys are from Barcelona, is that right? We grew up there as kids. Like, spent my formative years there from about five to, say, 11, and a five-year difference with my older brother. Uh, but we lived all over the world as when we were growing up, but Barcelona is the hometown that we picked for ourselves. It's, you know, it made the most impact on not only myself, but my brother and my, the rest of my, my parents as well. It's, uh, my, my dad lived and worked there for 25 years. So that explains why, why you're a Barcelona fan. I mean that, and it's the best football team in the world. Yeah. Like, right. you know, well, yeah. But yeah, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it explains why I am, uh, I spend so much of my free time and, and money running a supporters club. Right. It's that, that it's Barca means a huge amount to both me, my brother, and, and my parents. Now, Joe, what about you? How how did you get into Barcelona? Yeah, so um, I've always loved football. I'm originally from West Africa, so football's in my blood. Um, around 2006, when I started watching European football, there was this guy, I don't know you guys have heard of him. His name was Rondinho. Um, <laughs> That's the one looks like Jar Jar Binks, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. He's, you know, he was okay. He was okay. No, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, um, I started watching... At, I think it was my one of my really good friends was an Arsenal fan. It was Arsenal Barcelona um, Champions League. Uh, I think it was round of sixteen. It might have been. And then I really got into Ronaldinho and watching him. And then I got into the team, and they just played the best brand of football. Um, fell in love with Eto, then Xavi, then Puyol, and then Xavi and Puyol became my favorite. And and I just got to know the team, and I couldn't watch another team after that i completely sympathize so a few episodes ago we had a listener ask us who our top five players are and i said chobby 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 and chobby 
I absolutely love Chubby. Because he spits hot fire. Because he spits hot fire. That's exactly what I said. Now, without making you do a top five, who would you say is your number one, Joe? I mean, you know, I would, I could, I could possibly give you my top five. I mean, Xavi's definitely on there. Ronaldinho, Puyol, um, Messi, of course, Iniesta. Damn, it's longer than top five because yeah, yeah. I so mean, you know, Eric Abidal, Dani Alves. I mean, my the almost the whole team from my generation. But I mean, I can tell you. There was a time where I realized if Xavi and Puyol weren't playing, they were the heart of the team. I mean, you could have all the strikers you want, but Xavi is the greatest passer I've ever seen in my lifetime. I think almost the games I've ever seen, his vision was just absolutely absurd. So it, it might be Xavi, to yeah. be honest with you. Now, what about you, Matt? I mean, Xavi, of course, incredible. Uh, and the fact that we're alive while Messi is still playing uh, is playing is like something that I'm thankful for every day. We get to watch that. It's incredible. Uh, but like what, what who I've always loved are, are like the 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 rock the heart of the team. So Puyol is is, is my boy. Uh, before him was uh, back in the nineties. Sergi was was a similar like a defender, the heart, the rock, like that kind of thing. Like back in the day, and I think that's where where I, I learned my appreciation for that like almost unsung hero. You know, it's the they uh, they're the heart, they're the rock, they uh, they hold everyone together. And, uh, you know, they don't score the goals, but they're, they're so important. Oh, yeah, and absolutely critical to Barcelona's style and system. But let's shift over and talk about the Pena. Now, how did you go about starting the Pena and why? Uh, so my older brother started it, uh, and it was almost by happenstance. So he was at a bar near his old house in the, in, near the TL uh, called Aces, a bit of a die bar. It's like one of the only spots that was open early enough to catch the early games. Uh, and this is before I started living in the city. This was almost 10 years ago now, jeez. Um, and uh, and he just happened to notice that there were other people there at 6 a.m. that weren't drinking, or continuing drinking. There were people, like, watching, actually watching the, the, the football matches. And he, he and through that, just kind of built a, uh, you know, like a community of Barca fans. And, and from there, and, like, you know, this was before even thinking about any thoughts of being an official Peña or anything like that. It was just wanting someone to watch Barca games with. Which is what what a Pena is, right? You want to you want to watch your favorite team with the people that you that you uh, enjoy watching games with. Now, Joe, how and when did you get involved with the Pena? Yeah, so I moved to San Francisco coming up on two years actually in January, and one of the first things I did when I moved here, I moved from Atlanta, and I watched Barca games there. Had my favorite bars, had a group of people I'd watch it with. Um, we weren't a Pena; it was just a bunch of my friends and just other people, you know. So. Um, when I moved out here, I was like, I want to find a group of people to watch the games with. I went for the first day and watched the game myself at some bar. I was like, whatever, didn't really care for it. And then I found the meetup, uh, the Benya, and met up with them. I think it was a Classico, might have been my first game at um, Thirsty Bear. And met Matt, and then I, had a, I worked close to South Beach and showed up to a lot of the games, even the midweek ones, because I made it a priority. And then... Through that, got closer with Matt and everything and got to know his family, and we just kind of – it just naturally progressed from there. But it was mostly because I wanted to watch the game with a bunch of like-minded individuals. So if you if you Google uh, Barcelona and San Francisco or, like, you know, put in, like, the, the name of the game and then San Francisco, we're the first thing that comes up as our meetup page. But, Joe, you're the VP now, so how did it go from – coming out to watch games to becoming the vice president. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... It was I asked for his help. That's where, <laughs> that's, that's where it came from. <laughs> it was that, and yeah, you know, and it was, it was also just like, you know, we, we're like-minded individuals, and I mean, as Matt, Robert, Matt's parents, great people, and we just, and as I said, I was at a lot of the games, Matt was at a lot of the games, and 
it just kind of naturally evolved. I think we're similar in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm better looking, of course, but um, no, we're just we. I'm we're, a better dresser, so yeah. it works out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> just gonna you know let that they can't go. see us, right? <laughs> <I know> that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why nothing you say can be refuted. <laughs> Either way, we just kind of, you know, we get it off. And, um, and I think it came down to it, Matt had asked, because I was at a lot of the weekday games, and that started working out. And then we kind of had some similar thoughts for the future of the Pena, and so that's just how that blossomed. Cool. And, and my, my older brother, founder of the Pena, who still, by the way, does a lot of like background stuff. He handles like the accounting, and like he's he's our main contact with. Uh, by the way, we're, we're a registered California nonprofit, so there's like a bunch of other stuff going on there. Oh, sure. uh, you know, a lot of tax related things and and all that kind of administrative stuff that I generally am pretty terrible at. Um, and he also he's also like our contact with uh, with the the club itself in in, in Barcelona. Uh, so he does a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. But uh, there was a period there when him and I lived together in San Francisco at the same time and like we worked really well together and like we're building the Pena and then he got a he got a job in down in LA and I, I needed someone to, to to help me. Right. And that's that's where Joe came in. There and you he's go. and he's been amazing. He really has been. He's been the the energy, the the, the effort, the the down for whatever is great. So speaking of being a Pena versus what there was before the Pena. And a lot of places have this. Los Angeles, for example, has an active fan group, but they aren't registered as a Pena with the club. So what are the advantages, you think, of getting that official recognition? I mean, the first and most obvious is the status, right? I mean, you, you go to the you go to the FCB website, uh, and they have, they have a list of the official Pena's. And, uh, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's something that we can use as um, a status thing, like to bring more members to, you know, to for our you know, we talk about it all the time, and it's and it's and and it di- that's the the main obvious op- uh, advantage is that. But uh, additionally, having a relationship with the club that we love is is also very important to us, right? I mean, we you know we, we have a relationship with the the office in New York. Uh, my brother and I were, were recently invited out to New York to watch them play uh, during the what was that? That was the the, American, the, the friendly tour. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we you know met like. Uh, Titian Ri and stuff, and like all, like all kinds. Of, went to their New York office, which is gorgeous, and like sat down with with uh, with uh, executives from the club, uh, like the Pena people. We got to meet a bunch of other Penas from a, from around the U.S., which is amazing. Like we recently did a charity drive for Houston after the uh, the disaster over there, and and you know that all came about because we, we you know we met the Houston Kool-Aid's. We met like the and getting to meet. You know, we already had a relationship with the New York uh, Penas, mm-hmm. but getting to meet like the other Penas around the around the country was amazing. Oh, that reminds me, Victor from Houston wanted me to say hi to you guys. Oh, you know Victor? <laughs> he's a listener. Yeah, he's nice. a is an, an amazing man. We met him in New York. Uh, he's he was. Uh, Indispensable in organizing or helping us organize the uh, the the donation that we made to the the, the Houston Food Bank to, awesome. to help out the thing, and and that's you know and that's one of the big things that's always been a thing about Pena is, is giving back to the community and, and, and charity and that kind of thing. That's why we're a nonprofit. More well, I was gonna I was exactly. also gonna say another uh, perk is Ray Hudson gets to shout out your Pena. There was a game where he actually said, you know, I know all you guys in America that are watching are having a heart attack right now, San Francisco, you know, and like Houston, yeah, you know, so it's stuff like that. There's, I think, as I said, I've in Atlanta, I watched with kind of an unofficial group of people to just watch the games, and I mean, it wasn't even as organized as an unofficial group, it was just, there was a bar that always had games, and we'd all show up, and this is just so much better, just being 
more organized, being more connected to the club that we all love, and then being able to share that with with other people in the Pena. Um, I mean, I think both of our ultimate goal is to kind of get a group of people in the Pena together to fly over to Barcelona and raise our official banner at the stadium. Uh, it's uh, a it's a, a clay plaque that you get to put on the the Camp Nou. Uh, I mean, it's all, basically all, the same thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> metaphorically, it is a banner. Yes, um, yeah, and it's a, you know we we have a, we have a spot like whenever whenever we want to do this ceremony, we are we are invited to do so. Yeah, and we've we've raised a group. Um, another one of the great things is you have visitors from. Barcelona yep. that come into town, they want to watch a game. So we've met so many people there. Yeah, we've we've visiting so many, all the time. Yeah, we've made so many great connections. Um, so I think that that is the the biggest perk of having an organized group is actually that community factor. Right. And that's exactly what we do on the podcast. We're all about community, but through a, a different medium, and that's why it's so great to connect with you in this in this moment. But also beyond getting together to watch games and again, the fact that you're hosting a viewing at 4 a.m. in this posh apartment building is great. Uh, Luckily, one of your guys is the building manager. But apart from that, do you have any other special events or activities that you have been doing or you're looking to do? We've done some in the past. Uh, You know, one of the things that goes along with with more than a club is that, you know, there is the charity stuff that we've done. Most of that stuff has been online. You know, it's been like raise money. Uh, like we uh, we had a signed jersey, we raised a bunch of money for the the Boys and Girls Club is, is our main recipient of our uh, of our charity stuff. We try to do a, a charity auction of some kind of cool swag, signed jersey, signed T shirt, anything. Like that. I think last time it was a bunch of like uh, like a barbecue and like a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, we auction those off and uh, and we give to the Boys and Girls Club of San Francisco, which is an amazing charity. Um, and uh, the, like that, that the charity aspect is is ongoing and has been going from from day one. Uh, other things we're trying to work on, and this is something that Joe and I have been have been building and working on since since he came on, is to try to do kind of Barcelona cultural events, Catalan kind of things. Like we had a wine tasting at one of our tasting, uh, uh, wine tasting well, wasn't just common. Yeah, um, I guess it's true, but we try to center it more on the kava aspect. Well, oh, of so it, no, so he's sorry, you're, you're correct. We're both right, actually. So because the there was a kava at one of the classicos, we had free kava uh, or kava at a price, and then we did do a wine tasting at another game. They're, they're both wine, but one's very specific. This is my job. You're a wine expert, so. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I do. <laughs> well, the the whole idea we're, we're, is we're gonna get into uh, the idea yeah. is trying to do just more things than just get together and watch the game. Being right. you know cultural. Barcelona cultural events, bringing the Catalans on, um, trying to, you know, we we both have a love for the, for Catalonia, uh, the region in itself, and not just the team. I mean, I think People you can't culture. be a fan of the team without realizing what that team means to the culture right. and becoming a fan of the culture as well. I mean, I hate Real Madrid, not just because of the team is our rival, but because of how deep that history goes, you know? So um, it is so culturally based. So we, we try to do a bunch of events involving all our multiple Catalan friends and Cava tastings, um, barbecues, and, you know, the goal in the future is to have much more of those events, maybe not per se fully centered around watching games, but, I mean, there are some games at 4 a.m. where we can record them and watch them at a different venue with Cava or, you know, Paella or whatever. And then, you know, just a bunch of different things like that. I mean, being in San Francisco, we have access to Napa, you know, and things like that. So there, I, there are a lot of different events. I, uh, For example, I, I had a dinner party at my house uh, a week or so back, and I made Paella for the first time. 
uh, it was a fun thing to do with some friends, but my actual, my main reasoning for doing that was to learn how to make paella so that I can do it at one of our events. Um, it's fun and easy, right? Uh, fun, yes. <laughs> easy? Uh, I may have burned it a little bit. Maybe not too much of a cook. The paella, um, do you know what, to his credit, the paella is pretty damn good. Uh, I mean, you know. Uh, thank I mean, you. I think it's nice when it's a little charred. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some parts, well, we like, scraped some parts off the, little, the, the better scurgy. parts. Yeah. We, we uh, didn't really keep the charred parts. <laughs> my, yeah. And my last question is about your membership. Before we started recording, we were talking about your plans for membership rates, and you're going to be having a sort of uh, sort of a deal at the moment. Is is that right? Not, not even a deal. We're just, uh, and yeah. we'll, we'll be announcing this on on our Facebook and Meetup uh, after the Classico. But you know, I'm happy to talk about it here. Um, in the past, we've charged, uh, you know, I think it started at five. Now it's twenty bucks uh, a, a season for membership. And uh, we're, we're taking another look on uh, on how we do our price structure. So, so what Joe and I have decided is that we're going to make it uh, free to join. All you have to do is register, and then you'll get a, a, a penista card from us, and maybe one from the club. Uh, the problem with the ones from the club is that they, uh, the last like three, four years, for whatever reasons, they will just send a random selection of the list we send them instead of the full list. Um, <laughs> Which is hugely frustrating because yeah. people are like, "Hey, where's my card?" And I'm like, "Uh, <laughs> sorry." The, the Spanish way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's super Catalan, actually. Like, very, yeah. very Catalan way to do that. And believe me, we've had we've had words with them, and it's maybe it'll get fixed. We'll see. And then, uh, in addition to that, you know, you get preferential seating and a discount on merch. But the reason that we are we are dropping the the, the cost portion is that. Although we've we've done a lot of work and we work very hard on this, we don't feel that that we've really earned that twenty dollars yet, right? And 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 the the idea here is that we once we get all these events going and once we we turn this from uh, an already great group that watches football matches to a group that also goes out and and does stuff uh, apart from from watching games, you know, events and stuff like that. We've got such a great fan base here in the Bay Area. We've got so many great people. I've met, I've met like, I wouldn't have met Joe, for example, who's a good friend now without Barson. I've met so many friends, like, every single person we see at games are, are, are great people. Yeah. Uh, and I think that probably has something to do with Football Club Barcelona. I don't, I'm pretty sure the Real Madrid group is just a bunch of D-backs. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we agree. Yeah. Uh, no, I actually... It's not true. I actually know that the, the local guy, the, the guy who runs the, the some are good is, people. Is, is actually a very nice some man. Some are good people. If he's listening, Kenneth, you're a very nice man. Um, and the rest of them are, you know, but uh, the worst. but yeah. So like you know, we're 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 dropping it to to just uh, registering with the promise that we will eventually raise it to some some price uh, once that we think that we've we've been providing events that are that are worth that money. All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot for being on Barza Talk, guys. Brian, thank you for talking with us. This was fun. Thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. Forza Barza. Forza Barza. So, Brian, I'm I'm super jealous of your watching experience because mine was kind of the opposite of that. Mine was a little bit, um, as we like to say here in Spanish, cutre. Uh, my internet wasn't working that well, so I couldn't watch it streaming. I was packing because I had to leave to go to the Pueblo, so I had to listen to the radio, and the radio was kept cutting in and out and so this game basically decided that i have to get a tv sooner than later because this is on this is this this can't stand this can't stand man i just can't (laughs) i can't i can't not watch games like this anymore so i'm gonna get a tv hopefully by the end of january and get the package so i can watch the games at home 
just very calmly, you know, and just be able to have that option because Saturday I was, oh my God, I was just like, did the Grinch steal my internet? That's what I wanted to know. It's like, <laughs> did the Grinch steal my internet? Because I have like fiber optic internet, you know, like I have really fast internet and I could not get anything to work. And I have an IT background. I couldn't get the streaming. I couldn't get any video. And then I was watching your video and I was just like, is this guy serious? He's watching the projection <laughs> room. And I was just like, I just want to be there with fellow coolers. I was just running around my apartment packing. And yeah, but so that was my experience. My experience was the definite opposite. It was like almost like the Grinch stole my Classico almost, you know? Well, I'm sorry to hear that. But yeah, I got I got lucky for this one that I was in the, in a good place uh, and good people were setting it up. Were you able to get any video reaction from the goals? I didn't. I was trying to, but it's just uh, I didn't want to have my, my phone running the entire time just in case. And, you know, in the case of penalty kick or free kicks and things like that, I would I would set up in case something happened. But a lot of those goals sort of came a little bit out of nowhere. And by the later ones, I was I was already I was already a little bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally understandable. But, you know, that's the great thing about watching the game with, you know, does obviously with Barcelona fellow Kules, but also what other team you, you, you support. You know, when you watch with other people that are, have the same team that you are cheering for, there's just something special about it. And especially when you win, it's even better. So I, could, I can't even imagine, especially in the second half with the three goals. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it, but those two goals that were, well, especially the first one, which was just, an amazing goal as to how everyone reacted. Probably everyone was high-fiving each other, going crazy, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah, when that first goal happens, especially in this match, it was pretty tense. You, you know you know it's in Madrid. You can see that Madrid have been... I mean, we're going to get into it, but you, you, can, you can tell that there's the pressure, there's the tension. And so when that first goal, when you get that first goal, your team gets that first goal, it lifts so much of the tension, and everyone was so excited in the room and it's you know it's five in the morning at this point and we're just screaming and i don't think we were even worried about any of the uh, tenants in the building but uh yeah we we were just we just lost our shit well, that's it great, was great to hear so let's let's get into this classico that was on saturday we both had opposite viewing experiences but the blaugrana pulled this amazing victory out so let's get into this so I have here just a couple of things that I just need to get off my chest before we digress into this. Why is it that I don't I don't know if they do this in the states, but for some reason, when it's a big game in, in football here, they have people who aren't native speakers doing the commentating. So, for example, I like in the Spanish channel I was watching, they have Patrick Cliver, who used to be a Barca, he's a Dutch guy doing the Spanish commentating. The poor guy can't, I mean, he can speak Spanish, but he can't commentate. So the flow of the game just gets really choppy. And so you're just watching the game, you want some analysis, and it's just like, you, it's it's awful. And like, all I wanted to hear was Ray Hudson, because I love that guy so much. I just wanted to hear his commentating. I knew they were here in Madrid. I was going to try to, you know, to tweet at him to see if we can try to get together somehow, but I just, I didn't have time. But I just wanted to hear the BN from the U.S. because I love the way they announce do their analysis and obviously Ray Hudson's a genius when he does his his adjectives and his phrases for sure. And Ray Hudson, you gotta you gotta say, while Ray Hudson is great, his foil in Phil Shane, his straight man, I think sets him up really well also. I think you do have to hand it to Phil Shane. Of course I tune in for Ray Hudson, but you know, Phil Shane, he's like the Busquets of that team. You don't exactly notice him because Ray is so he's like a beacon 
he just draws you to him with his words but but phil is there to set it up for him uh and i don't blame you i i love listening to ray hudson call mat call matches and uh, i and i wouldn't want to listen to cliver to you know struggle through spanish to try and commentate yeah, exactly there's just like all these awkward pauses because he's trying to find the vocabulary and i just feel sorry for him it's like why this is a big game this is the classico right so just get another spanish native speaker and also it's like the phil shane is super underrated i think because you know how sometimes in the states they have commentators in english uh that are quote-unquote not really fans of football but they do a lot of studying so they kind of come across as they know what they're talking about but phil shane is a true fan of football he's been doing it for so long that it just comes across so naturally he just knows like the nicknames of cities of people of you know whatever it may be and it's flawless so their partnership i love watching them in english i don't watch much uh football matches in english but when i do it's definitely them because in spanish i just love the way they do the goal call there's nothing like it that's true. The goal calls are always the best. But yeah, it's, I, I can't explain why uh, Spanish be in would not have native speakers, especially doing the live commentary. Like if you want to get former Barca players to do maybe some after the match stuff or halftime kind of things, that seems like it would probably work a little bit better. But when it's live time, you need, well, you don't need, but it might be better if to just have like native to just have native Spanish speakers making the Spanish calls. Exactly. You know? uh, so that was my first kind of thing to get off the chest. And then I, now I have some some <laughs> kind of like numbers, things that just kind of encompasses what just happened, what we saw on Saturday. And the first thing for me is in 29 games, Ronaldo has one assist and 15 chances created, whereas Messi has 14 assists and 68 chances created. Let's talk about that. The, the ratio is way off. Well, that's the thing is that like in 29 games, Ronaldo has only assisted one time. That's insane to me because, you know, we always talk about this debate of the Messi-Ronaldo. And again, I'm always going to bring the evidence to, to support our boy Messi. And this, again, is just another great thing. Is just why would you want to play with Ronaldo? He's never going to pass you the ball. Clearly. Exactly. And it, it, the thing is, is like – Brian, if I put you out there, I would just say as a forward, you would probably have maybe between 15 and 20 chances that you could create, you know, because you would be looking for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of your thing. Like, I feel like as a, I don't know, as like a team player, you're looking to do that. But Ronaldo obviously is looking for all the glory. Anyway, the next, my next thing, uh, Barcelona has won the last three in the Bernabeu in La Liga, which is amazing. I love, love, love when we win in the Bernabeu, there's just something about it. I don't know, maybe because the crowd hates, you know, obviously Barcelona so much, the whistles, and especially like the last match when Messi had the game winner in the 90th minute, just just the reaction of the crowd, how it gets so quiet. I just love when we quiet the Bernabeu crowd. Yeah, well, we always talk about home versus away. And in European football or soccer in general, it's one of those sports where the because the referees have so much room to make their own interpretations and their own calls in the moment they really can be influenced by a crowd for example so that the the home field advantage is more applicable in soccer and of course it's uh, huge in baseball for very technical reasons right but yeah we always talk about home versus away and it really is a big deal in soccer and so if you can go away especially to such a contentious place a place where you're going to be so hated and pull out a win and overcome whatever advantage the home team has and beat them 
that just makes it so much better. And I agree with you. I absolutely love it when we beat them in in the Bernabeu. And of course, I hate it when they beat us in the Camp Nou. But we don't have to talk about that because that's not what happened. We went to the Bernabeu and beat them. So let's talk about that. The fact that they've won the last three in the Bernabeu was even better. Exactly. And unfortunately, the one time I went to the Classico Brian in the Camp Nou, Real Madrid won. I mean, again, that's... I know. Uh, anyway, but... But yeah, so that that's just impressive that we've been able to win three times in a row. That's never happened in Barca's history, so that's really awesome. I also think, you know, lately with uh, Barcelona, I think they've just been ratcheting it up when they go to the Bernabeu. They just they focus more. They their passes are crisper. They just look sharper. So again, that just attributes to the third win. Okay, next one. Messi has twenty five total goals in the Clasico. I mean. Amazing. I mean, obviously, he's the leading scorer by you know six goals or so, five goals or so. But it's just going to continue to mount up. And again, just super impressive the outage and also the time period that's happened. Twenty five goals. I mean, just remarkable. I mean, what can you say except, as we've said before, we have Messi and you don't. And I'm super glad we do because he is the best, man. He is the best. <laughs> and the last number, the last kind of number that kind of encompasses what happened when on Saturday was Messi's performance. So I found this really uh, interesting statistic about his walking slash running slash sprinting. So according to El Periodico, uh, his performance has been analyzed and found that he walked for 83%. He ran for 4.95%. And he sprinted for 1.15%. And he jogged for 10.8%. So the majority of time... Messi was like bored of this match. He was walking. You know what I'm saying? Like he was just like, like walking around like nothing. But in those, you know, uh, what would we say for those total of the six percent where he had to run and sprint, he made plays and that turned the game and got the victory for Barcelona, which is insane to me, right? Eighty three percent he walked. Well, that's sort of part of his um, strategy when he's out on the field because he knows he's a focal point, and I think he knew especially he was a focal point in this match because Kovacic was marking him so tightly. That was his whole job, apparently. And so one thing that Messi will do is he will he'll walk just to sort of maybe get your guard down. I don't know exactly what the idea is, but I think it's sort of to at least create the appearance that he's a little bit out of the game, right? But he's he's paying very close attention, and what he's looking for is for that moment. He's looking for that moment to sprint or run or whatever, to not walk. But the walking is, it seems to me, like a like a tactic, a strategy to lull the defense into a little bit of complacence about him or to forget about him especially if other people are running around him yeah i would agree i would agree and the thing too is like you know especially in this game like we said kovacic was covering him man marking him almost like you know basketball where it's almost like man-to-man defense you know wherever he went kovacic was with him and i think Messi just kind of knew that and so he walked him away from a lot of the plays right and that's what led to the first goal essentially so yeah i can see that too that he kind of maybe just wants to lull you to sleep a little bit and then in that moment he already's planning you know three steps ahead so especially like in the second goal he did it he did that to barcelo he he just kind of lulled him to sleep and took him to the corner so you know it's one thing when you look at it on tv and you're Okay, whatever. But then when you see the numbers, 83% of that 90 minutes, he's walking. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, to be fair, also, the, we got three goals, which was fantastic, but they weren't... Um... They weren't built up gradually. They all came about fairly quickly. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And, yeah, you know, that's just... 
I still just think it's remarkable, you know, 83% of the time. But let's let's get into let's get into the lineup. Um, so we talked before in the last episode that I I thought that uh, Val Green was going to go with a more conservative lineup to try to get the point, especially because he had nothing to lose, right? Like he didn't want to go with something crazy and then get blown out by Madrid. And we got a comment on on Facebook, a, a guy I don't know, I forget his name right now off the top of my head, but he told me that going into Madrid trying to be conservative was something out of Barca's thinking. But, you know, this year has told us there's been a kind of evolution that's been happening where Val Green has had more freedom with the lineup and adjusting with injuries. And so, again, he started with a 4-4-2. Any surprises for you with this formation? No, not really. I mean, I guess disappointments just because I have my uh, my romantic notions of the 4-3-3 and being more attacking – but uh, given what Valgreen had been showing us in the weeks leading up to this, nothing about the, the lineup surprised me, uh, particularly the fact that Sergi was starting and that he was playing right back, that Samedo was not in. Yeah, I would agree. And the thing, you know, Barca's lineup didn't scare me because I think we've kind of been trending towards that lineup for a big game, especially against Juventus, right? The only difference was Messi. But again, I think for me, the bigger surprise was Real Madrid's formation. I thought they would go for a 4-3-3 with Isco in there. That's what I would have done just because I'm, you know, like we talked about previously, Isco scares the crap out of me. And I think he's the major difference maker for Real Madrid, not Benzema, not uh, Ronaldo. He's the one that kind of just sets that all up for them. And when I saw he was going to be on the bench... I had a good feeling. I, I had a good feeling because I knew if anything, Isco was going to come in the 60th minute and it wasn't going to have such an impact as he would be for the whole match. Yeah, absolutely. I was surprised, just like you were, that Isco wasn't in there because he scares me as well. And it seems like Zidane was just not using an, a very good asset that he had. But maybe he was also uh, trading Isco out for a slightly more defensive approach also. Exactly. And then I have here in my notes, right? So Paulinho gets a start in the Classico, right? Do you think that eight months ago, this guy thought that he would be in the starting 11 in the Classico? And not only the starting 11, but being important? You, you know, we've, we've documented my, my, not hate, but my, you know, just my feelings at the beginning of the season towards him. And now, you know, especially like in this match, he was important again. And it's crazy because... He's, he he was never the ideal Barca player, but he brings something. I don't know what it is, but he brings it. And in these big games, he almost scored. And again, he's vital because he's physical, and it's crazy. I just can't believe he's important to our team. Yeah, well, he just uh, – we were talking early on about how he just – we didn't think he would fit in, that he – we didn't think he would fit with – with Barcelona, but he's he has somehow managed to fit perfectly with uh, the strengths that he has into the team. Uh, the fact that he's physical, he is good positionally. He gets into good places, and he knows what his job is, and that's mainly to not try to make plays, but to be sort of the uh, the support player who's going to assist the playmaker. I think that that is generally his role, and then he but he's not shy about stepping up and getting the header or getting forward and getting that second ball. And as we talked about last uh, last episode and as we've talked about in the past, how Paulinho will just follow the play all the way to the end of the goal line. And that's one of the reasons that he's the third highest scorer for Barcelona this year. Exactly. And the other thing I heard uh, Val Green describe him, which is, I think, a great way to describe him, he describes him as surprising. 
He's he's like, you know, he runs the full box. My mom would be so proud of him. He's such a great hustler, right? We talk about how great he hustles. And I think we've, we've never had that type of player that I would say maybe Keita was something similar, similar game. But Keita never started, right? Like he would spot start, you know. But Paulinho is like in this match and the other match, he surprises you with his box-to-box runs, his physicality. I mean, he had other, he had a header, he had a shot on goal. And it's crazy because like we've talked about, he's been vital. He's been vital this year. Six goals. And just having a great season. So, uh, again, I apologize to Val Green and Pauly. Like, you guys, you know, I'm man enough to change and be adaptive. And I'm fully behind him. So every time I see him, I never worry about him anymore. Never. Never worry about him. Yeah, me either. And, I mean, I again, I was not as worried about him in the, in the early days as you were. Uh, but... I've really come around also, and he's he's absolutely delivered. We were, at least in our hearts, we were rooting for him to do well because he was playing for Barcelona, and he is absolutely delivered. So happy to to see him on the pitch, like actually happy to see him on the pitch. Yeah, Starting. exactly. And then my other note to this is your boy Blue Eyes, Sergio Roberto, you know. Yeah, of course. I mean, how many Classicos has he been now, and how many great plays has he made? The moment is not too big for him, and also Val Green knows how important he is. I kind of wish he would play more midfield and have Semedo, but again, that's a very minor thing, you know? But man, Roberto, man, he just he is fast enough, his speed, his possession, and, he, and again, remember the last Classico, his box-to-box run to set up the last-minute goal, then also in the other Classico he played, he had a great output in that. There's just something about the Classico that he comes up to play, and Val Green used him again brilliantly. And again, your boy Blue Eyes, I know you were super happy with his performance, I'm sure. Yeah, and I, I imagine that you know that when that first goal happened, how how happy I must have been. <laughs> again, like it was almost like a carbon copy of the last week's goal, right, where he did the that cross. The, you know, it was really interesting because, like, when I saw him in the lineup, you know, I felt better. Like, again, we've been trending with this lineup with this four four two. You know, obviously, I love a four three three. Like you being romantic about it, but at the same time, for me, I just we have to use what we have. You know, it's it's like coming up with the recipe, right? It's like we we don't have truffle oil. That would be Dembele, right? We 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 have maybe some salt and pepper, and we have to kind of just manage what we have. And the four four two just seems to be working. And look now with this victory. We are cruising La Liga, no hay liga, no hay liga. Like that's, it's over. No hay liga. Right? Like that's, that's it. So, so yeah. So your boy Blue Eyes, super important. I hope he just continues to evolve and he's becoming a more and more important player for Barca for sure. Yeah. And I'm almost wondering, I mean, obviously I'm not a football coach or manager. So, and I don't know about the tactical mind of any manager, uh, Val Green or whoever. Yeah, I, so so I start to hatch these these like conspiracy theories. So, is there something about maybe playing Sergio Roberto in right back that actually creates another sort of um, almost like a fake, right? You you know that he's an a, an attacking right back when he's in right back. You know that he'll get forward and he'll try and do those things. But there are also moments like that first goal. He essentially slotted into midfield. He, he made that interception of the pass to Benzema, which was brilliant, by the way. I think the fact that he spotted the run, anticipated the pass, but didn't give it away so much that the, the pass didn't come. He let the pass come, but he knew he was going to be going in for it. And, and then he laid it off to Iniesta. And just while that play was developing, he comes forward. And now suddenly he's not a defender. I mean, it's still very much in 
Barcelona's final third. They're trying to get it out of there. Real Madrid is threatening, but there's Sergio Roberto forward. He's in line with Messi, so he just slots in there. And is there something about starting him where that is a possibility, whereas with Semedo in right back, you're not going to expect that, or that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I would say there's something to that, but I also think that you know Sergio Roberto's good. He's 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 a good player. So Rakitic is confident with his ability. So when he sees Sergio Roberto push forward, I'm sure Rakitic kind of hangs back a little bit to cover. You know, and that's how it, that works out. They have that chemistry. They've been playing a long time for a lot. You know, these big games. So. You know, in that moment for that goal, Sergio Roberto kept going. And if you see Rakitic, Rakitic stayed back in mid at the halfway line. So just in case they lose the ball. But again, Sergio Roberto is just a really good player. He's just a really good player. So you have to get him on the f- and really smart. and really blue eyes. So, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so you just have to get him onto the field somehow. I mean, obviously, it's going to sacrifice tomato a little bit. But again, like in this match, how he came as a second half sub, almost as a closer Semedo is so fast that like it's just another level of defense. Now going a little bit to the tactics of the match from the beginning, like we said, Kovacic man marked uh, Messi from the from the get go, right? And so the, the commentators noticed it right away. The other thing too was that Real Madrid came pressing high, and again that's fine, you know Barcelona is used to it, but again it's something that doesn't last. It cannot last for the whole match. So it was just a matter of when Real Madrid was going to run out of steam. And again, Real Madrid looked really formidable in the first half. They came out to play. They looked fresh. They were pressing high. And they had the, the early scoring chances. I was a little bit worried. Barcelona just had to weather that storm. Obviously, they did that. But when they weathered that storm and Madrid could not score, you just see how Madrid just gets so frustrated. And they kind of just turn on each other. You know what I'm saying? It's like a virus. You know, they just like get, they get like a negative chain of events. You know, it's not like not a positive feeling. It's not like, come on, we can do it. It's like, oh my God. And they just start yelling at each other. And you knew about after the, I would say about the 40th minute or so, Barcelona started to figure out calmly, collectively, what Madrid was doing, and they just kind of Rubik's Cubed it. All right, this is what's going to happen. We're going to pass over here, and then all of a sudden they just start gaining more of the possession, and they were able to control the game. Now, at halftime, I know that the, the possession was more Madrid's favor, but that just has to go from the beginning where Madrid was really pressing. We just had to weather that storm. If they would have scored the first maybe goal, you know, in the first 20 minutes, I think it would have been a totally different game. Oh, absolutely. But the fact that they were able to to weather the storm was really impressive, although most of the time I was pretty much on the edge of my seat because they weren't maintaining possession, because Madrid was coming at them so hard and trying to shut down their possession game. Busquets was getting marked tightly. Messi, of course, was getting marked tightly. So there's your your central spine right there that they were trying to shut off, which, you know, for Real Madrid's and, and, and Zidane's uh, credit, that's the way to do it. That's the way to, to try and play Barcelona. But they still didn't get the upper hand. And they definitely had good chances, and they just couldn't make it happen. They couldn't get it on frame. Again, it just goes back to our defense. I mean, how good has our defense been this year? Now that we can focus on our defense, we can hang our hat on the defense. Another shutout in this game. Ter Stegen playing out of his mind again, making key saves. You know, Vermeulen a couple times was caught, you know, ball watching, 
but we didn't get punished for it. Hanging that shutout, we score the goal, then all of a sudden it puts pressure on Real Madrid, the game opens up, and we just dominate. It was really hard for me to see the first 30 minutes because I was struggling trying to find it, but I was listening on the radio and what I was listening to, and, and I could hear in the street people just yelling and stuff. So I knew Real Madrid was having a lot of opportunities on the uh, to score, and thankfully they did not. And again, Val Green just coming up with the goods yet again. Now there was one one moment early on. It was in the tenth minute uh, where it was it was one of those close chances and uh, a real threatening moment from Real Madrid, but it did not work out. So what do you have to say about that play? Real Madrid were seeking and destroying for this first goal. They knew they had to get that first goal, and they wanted to get it early. Uh, it was a combination between Marcelo and Cruz on the left side. Cruz came in. He found Ronaldo in the middle, passed it, but the ball, like for some reason, was too fast for Ronaldo's timing or too slow and Ronaldo totally duffed it like a you know like a golf swing you know where you just hit it you know where you're like I'm gonna swing for the fences and he hit the ground you know and it was so perfect he almost fell over too you know when I was watching the recap shows they all marked that as like the beginning of such a long day for Ronaldo because you know usually he would hit that you know and he was wide open and and he missed it he totally duffed it he almost fell over yeah and I <laughs> I think, you know, even if the match had ended in a scoreless draw or a draw of any sort or even a loss, we still would have had that moment to brighten our spirits. I mean, luckily, it all, it all worked out much better for us. But if nothing else, we would have had that. Exactly. And it's just, you know, he just thinks he's like the best striker of all time, that he's not able to make mistakes ever. Right. And he like totally duffed it. And it was brilliant because they kept showing on replay and it was awesome. And what's really interesting is I'll bet if you showed video of that to Ronaldo, he would be like, that's not me. Or he blamed the pass. Right. <laughs> he blamed the ball. He'd be like, the ball wasn't rotating enough. Or he would say something like that, you know, or the sun got in his eyes or something like this. I did everything right. What were some of your other favorite plays in this match? I mean, the other one, too, was the Paulinho kind of half volley. I think that was a really important play because, again, you know, Messi getting the ball, he sees, again, Paulinho's movement. He did. He does kind of the same thing that Messi did in this play where he kind of walked around and then he surprised Ramos and he went direct. And, of course, Messi found him because Messi knows exactly, you know, he's, he's the matrix, basically. <laughs> and he drops the ball perfectly, you know, over the last line in front of Paulinho. Paulinho turns around and hits it. Obviously, Navas had to make a great save. So, again, Paulinho, if they would have scored that goal, too, I think that would have really opened up the game because then, Real Madrid would have been really, really seeking it from that beginning. But again, Paulinho having another great game. He had another chance, another header that was blocked as well. So he, in the first half, he had two shots on goal. He was all over the place, creating chaos. I mean, what can you say? Paulinho, man, I can't, I can't, I still can't believe that I'm on this Paulinho bandwagon train. I just, and I'm the conductor now, you know, I'm the conductor of this train, you know, I cannot believe it. I'm definitely getting a fat head of Paulinho. Yes, it's time. I think it's time for sure. (laughs) You've really crossed over the line of love to loving Paulinho. All right. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm looking for some artwork for my living room if anyone wants to make a paulinho collage for me or anything like that i will definitely put it on my my living room for sure for sure yeah the chances that paulinho had were were really great and also you got to hand it to navas for making that one huge save on that play i mean i mean both goalkeepers on both ends of the field they did not make it easy no they didn't and you know the first 30 minutes because i I rewatched the game you know i downloaded rewatched it and the first 30 minutes were kind of boring you know from a barca perspective you know we did lose the ball we were under attack and we were still trying to find our sea legs for about 30 minutes but then after the 30th minute 
with Paulinho's volley. It started to really kind of go back and forth and get really exciting. Again, Ter Stegen made a save on, I think it was... Um, it was the very uh, next minute. Yeah, exactly. He made a save on Ronaldo's uh, shot, this and that. We were going back and forth, and that's when the game really kind of opened up a little bit because then, you know, that's the other thing that Barca um, are really, really good at. Not only are they really good tactically and physically passing and stuff, but they're just smart football players. Once they realize what you're doing and what you're trying to do, they can easily counteract it on the fly, and you could. that's what happened. It just took them 30 minutes to figure it out. And then they were able to go from there and create a lot of chances. Yeah. Now, there was also that moment where Benzema hit the post. I mean, that was the one where my, my heart was in my throat for a second. Yeah, I bet. Was there a lot of groans there in the penny? I was like, oh, oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah I, I bet. I mean, because that, you know, again, Benzema's getting killed here in Madrid, by the way. Every, like, show I've watched want Benzema out. Like, they want him out of Madrid. Like, they are so fed up with this guy. I think he's still a scary player. I just think... You know, the problem with him, you know, as we talked about, I'm a body language doctor. Right. His body language just doesn't translate, right? He just looks like he doesn't care. I know he probably does care. But, again, this was a dangerous play. Vermeulen was caught ball watching a little bit. They hit the post, though. They didn't get the goal. We survive, and we just continue, and we march on. Yeah, but that was a lucky lucky moment for us. Definitely. And, I would, you know, my, I would say my favorite moment at the, of the first half is our next thing is in the, in the 46th, 45th minute where Messi had a free kick, right? And he just kicked it in Ronaldo's face. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. These are the schadenfreude moments. The, 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 the moment when Ronaldo just whiffed a kick and then when he got hit in the face with Messi's free kick. Those are the ones, right? I mean, the only thing left of the, like, the trinity of follies was to get kicked in the nuts. I mean, that was the only thing. <laughs> That's the only thing we, we right? were missing. <laughs> right? He got kicked He got kicked in the face. He duffed a kick. I mean, the only thing left was like, you know, the hat trick. What do we call that? The Follies hat trick, you know, something like this. Getting kicked in the nuts. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing. So, and I loved it because they showed it on replay where it just his, he like looks and it's like, boom. It just like ricochets off his face. And yeah, it was I loved it so much. Yeah, I've been watching it as a GIF on or GIF. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to get involved in that argument. It's either one, GIF or GIF. Uh, but I've been watching watching that on on Twitter or somewhere online. Just just him getting hit in the face over and over again. Yeah, just on repeat. It's on your wallpaper, right? Yeah, it's just, it's just so funny, right? And the best thing too is it was messy that did it. So it's just kind of a bigger fu for that, right? Yeah. So. But now the second half, everything really looked a lot different from the very beginning of the second half. This match really highlighted this for me that Val Green tactically is a really, really, really good manager. We've been, you know, in the past, we've had, obviously with Pep, let's take Pep out of this, right? If we take, like, the last 15, 20 years, the managers we've had in the past weren't the most tactical geniuses, right? If we have Reichard, we had Tata Martinez, right? They were more player managers, right? Because you have so much talent with Barcelona, you just kind of have to make them go in one direction and kind of they'll figure that way out, right? And now for the re- for the first time since obviously Pep, you know, but you know Pep cha- did something totally different. I'm just saying Val Green just tactically changing it from game to game, instituting the players. And I knew as soon as we got to halftime, we were going to be okay because he was able to gonna give them the proper adjustments of what to do. And right from the get go of the second half, that's exactly what happened. You know, he I'm sure he just told Messi. 
take Kovacic out of the middle as much as possible because Kovacic was going to be between a rock and a hard place, right? Because, again, that first goal, I mean, this first goal, what can, what can you say, Brian? Brian, what can you say? <laughs> I, can, let's, I, let's, oh, let's, <laughs> I can say so many things. <laughs> well, yeah, the the main thing, and I've heard a lot of people talking about this, about how once you, once you realize that you're being man-marked and Kovacic's entire job is to stay on you, then all you have to, and it's the basic weakness of man marking is that all you have to do is take that guy out of the game and bring other guys into the space that's left open. Exactly. You know, most players, like if let's say um, Messi played only left midfield or something like this, right? Then Messi would, that Kovacic would only have to be worried about one little area of the field, right? The left mid, you know, whatever. But since Messi roams wherever he wants to roam, it's an almost an impossible feat, and it it's a really wrong tactical thing to take because he can go left, up, right. He can go up the stadium, go buy a hot dog. Like he can do whatever he wants, right? Like he's all over the field. And Kovacic, poor Kovacic, like you know, obviously he's following directions. But you know, when we're going to talk about this first goal. Like first of all, your boy Roberto starts it off. Yes. Yeah, he makes an amazing interception, right? And what does he do? He just goes to the middle like he always does. And then what does he do next? He waits. Yeah, exactly. he just waits. And yeah, and he just you, you got to hand it to Busquets actually because um, Roberto handed it off to Iniesta. Iniesta one touch to Busquets. Now it's all on Busquets, and they've got pressure on him. And he made two or three moves in a row to maintain the possession and essentially shake the defender off, kind of like Chabi used to do. Just be like, no, I'm keeping this ball. You're not getting this ball from me. And then the defender backs off, and that's exactly what he did. So now. Busquets has a little bit of time and a little bit of space. Now, meanwhile, Rakitic was hanging back. He was hanging back to try and support Busquets because, you know, it looked like maybe he would lose it, but he didn't. And as soon as Busquets was facing forward with even a half yard of space, Rakitic was bolting into the space and Busquets makes the pass. Yeah, and the other thing too is Kroos came up to pressure him, you know, and Busquets was like just used his back perfectly, like shield the man and the ball, right, like perfectly. Did two Cruyffs, amazing. Turns around, Rakitic dupes Modric, right? Goes in that space, and Busquets just gives him this amazing. Just it's it's so subtle, right? Like that lead pass. It's not the distance, maybe what eight yards. If that is not like a great distance, but the way the pace of it was, Rakitic turned and burned, right? He went. And Messi, as soon as he recognized that the space was going to be open, what did Messi do? He just goes to the right. He just takes Kovacic out of the play, and it's like the Red Sea opened up for Moses, right? Rakitic just goes down, down to the penalty box, and then he gives it to... Sergi Roberto. One touch, back out to Suarez. And Suarez had all kinds of space because now Casemiro is coming in to cover Rakitic, who's bombing in. And I don't think Ramos expected the pass so quick from Roberto. I think he was expecting Roberto to try and run with it a little bit or maybe even take the shot. But no, Roberto saw the space opening up, saw Suarez running into it, and like he does, one touch puts it right where it needs to be. Exactly, but that pass by your boy Blue Eyes was just... All the passes in this play were perfect. You know, Roberto led Suarez, so he wasn't going to be offside. That was the first thing. Yep. The second thing, the pace of it. Also, he didn't he didn't hit the pass close enough for Navas to come out on it. And Suarez has one-timed it. And, of course, Suarez, that shot almost got blocked. Like, he had the whole goal. He could have gone high either way. But he went low, and it, it was a really great finish. That is just brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant from start to finish. From defense 
converting that Busquets pass to Rakitic. And again, Rakitic having the confidence to go all the way down because, you know, Rakitic is a pretty conservative player. He's not known for that, and it was just it was just brilliant. I mean, as I have here, obra de arte. Yes. Work of art. Like that goal I watched already like 50 times. It's just absolutely brilliant team goal. Absolutely. Now what about the second goal? Yeah, so the second goal I watched a couple times just to see how this happened. And again, it goes back to the Kovacic defending and PK making a really great run. It starts with defense. Busquets pressures, back pressures Casemiro. He steals the ball and then gives it to PK. PK takes it all the way to the halfway line, gives it to Messi, right? So then Messi starts this counter, but PK goes all the way through the middle. So now Varane and Ramos have to converge on him. They have to respect him because he's someone that's going to be up the middle. Now that happens. It creates this backspace where Varane was, where Suarez slips through. And of course, Messi, the Matrix, (laughs) finds that space, right? And he gives it to Suarez. Then Suarez hits the shot. It gets blocked. It pops up again, but Suarez on his hustle meter, my mom would be proud. That would have been a hustle meter of a nine on that play. Toe pokes it to Messi, who Messi is now at the, the penalty box. And Nava is his copy to in no man's land. He's in no man's land. So he comes to try to charge at Messi. And Messi just drops it off to Suarez. Suarez hits the post on the shot. This is complete chaos going on in this play, right? Hits the post. But again, who's there? My boy, Pauly, <laughs> right? My boy is there to sweep up the best. And, of course, he heads it in, and Carvajal, you know, saves it with his hand to try to avoid the goal, gets red carded. It was basically the perfect play because it was a red card, so we they lose Carvajal, and we get a penalty kick, and we're going to go up to nothing with Messi. I mean, just overall, from start to finish, PK's run, I cannot tell you, Brian, tactically, when you watch the play, if you watch the play again, that is what made the difference because if PK stops, then Veron just covers Suarez. But since PK continued his run, created that spot, and my boy Pauly, he's the hustle award winner so far, man. He just created all that play. Carvajal got red carded, and I'm sure in that play, that chaos play, the Pena must have been going nuts. We were going nuts. Well, I was watching that run from PK, and I knew as he was making that run, I knew that something was going to come out of it because, you know, you don't expect PK to do that. Well, you do once they're two or more goals up, then it's like PK gets to play around and uh, fulfill his striker fantasies. But this wasn't that. This was this was tactical. It was really meant to create a threat, and PK can be a threat in the middle for a lot of reasons. So once he made that run, I knew that something was going to be coming out of it. Although I have to say I was actually a little, I mean, the referee is in a position where Carvajal clearly committed the handball. So he has to give the red card and he has to give the penalty. He just doesn't have a choice in that. But I wasn't as encouraged at that moment because the ball went into the goal. We already had a goal. Now you're going to pull it back and we have to score a penalty. And Messi's been a lot better on the spot this year, but I feel like like last year he was having a lot of penalty spot problems. And I thought, well, I mean, we just had the goal. We could have had the goal. Now we have to score a penalty. And with Navas in goal, that might not be the easiest thing. Or, you know, if Messi's a little bit off, but he wasn't. He was on. And I think partially that's because it was a Classico. He, you know, he had his head in the right place or something like that. Of course, also he's Leo Messi, so he can, he can do all kinds of superhuman things. Scoring penalties is 
really a kind of a walk in the park a lot of the times. Yeah, I agree. But I think the worst case scenario would have been if they would have let the goal go in and Carvajal would have got the yellow card because Madrid was still searching and they're still dangerous, right? I think that was, for me, the best case scenario because, yeah, if, they, if Messi still has to do the penalty kick, they would have been a man down and we would have been more in control of the match. So for me, I, I liked getting the red card for Carvajal. And, of course, Messi just upper 90 roofed that goal like – that was just unsavable. I don't care. You could have told Navas that he was going there, and he still wouldn't have been able to save it. It was just a rocket of a shot. That goal makes Messi 25 goals in the Classico. Again, just, I mean, speechless. I mean, 25 goals. It's ridiculous to think about that. Against your biggest rival, and again, it's in the Bernabeu. He took a bow. It yeah. Was, <laughs> lo- love it. Love it. He sent love kisses it. out to the one Barcelona fan in the stands on the lower on the lower tiers surrounded by madrid fans you sent me that picture the other day that was awesome yeah it's a great picture because it has all the madrid fans black and white and then just has the one girl in front of him that's in the barca blaugrana colors and she's in the blue and the red and it just says uh it's from the it's from the guys from the other podcast they they posted it It said uh it said uh i think i'm in love (laughs) just a great line So, you know, I, I'm sure after this 2-0, I'm sure the Pena where you were watching, everyone felt a lot a lot of ease. We were going to win the match. They were a man down. And now it's party time. Yeah. I mean, and everything from that point forward uh, became the genuine possession game. Not a stalling game necessarily, but very much possession-based. And I don't want to admit that they, that they were just trying to hold on to the victory. But I think that's really what they were trying to do. Then again, Real Madrid just looked beat man they looked exhausted exactly it's that high high pressing game man it's so hard to keep up the whole i don't even care if it's 60 minutes 50 minutes you're you're using up a lot of energy and it's really hard to you know turn that around to use it when you need to attack and so again they looked exhausted again it just goes to show that you know since we had such a big lead going into this match we could be conservative we had nothing to really lose we can be more defensive Whereas Madrid had to really go after it, and it took a lot of energy. And when we went up 2 nothing, you just knew the writing was on the wall, and we were going to win the match. Yeah, because Real weren't just chasing the game. They were chasing the league. Exactly. Good point. You know, and that's the thing. You know, and they had to really show something, right? They wanted to probably win like 3 nothing, 4 nothing, just to put some doubt into the remaining fixtures. But now, like we said, no hay liga. That's it. It's over. And it's especially great after the, uh, the beating that we got in the Super Cup. I mean, we were just coming from losing Neymar. We were retooling, reimagining things. Val Green is still new. So, of course, there were a lot of problems that Barcelona was up against in that Super Cup tie. But they just killed us, and that that didn't feel good. So for this performance to vindicate and to avenge that loss, I think, was especially poetic. Yeah, I think that's true. And I just think also, too, that you know Barcelona always has La Liga as a serious goal, whereas Real Madrid does not. I just don't think... It's they're going to say that it's important, but I don't think it really is. I always think that Champions League is the ultimate prize for them. And that's what they put everything, you know, in their all their eggs in the basket for that. And I just think that with Val Green being steady with his tactics and everything, he's just looking at the long run of the season. Right. And so that's where it has paid off. We're unbeaten. I just can't believe how quick a six months turnaround is. You know, we got smashed in the Super Cup where even PK was saying he's never felt you know this way against Madrid feeling this inferior and now again we show up to the Bernabeu we win 3 nothing 
And when I was watching the shows here, the Madrilistas are like crying, even though they just had one of the greatest seasons in their career. They still are upset about just this last match. You know, it's, it's insane how quickly sports just changes. It's insane. Well, that's kind of what keeps us coming back, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the thing. So we basically have La Liga in the bag. And I know it's, you know, we still have to play for it. But I really, I just want the Champions League now. I, we need to have that to vindicate this season. And I think the last season against uh, Real Madrid, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Now, just before we tie up this, this match and talk about our men of the match, uh, what about the third goal? I mean, the third goal, what can you say? It's just all messy. I mean, it's all messy. Me- I mean, Messi's, Messi's the <laughs> shit, man. Messi's the best, dude. Like, it starts with him, right? It's like off a corner kick. Busquets gives them a bad pass. And any other player, like especially the games in hand, could have just let it go and just been like, eh. But no, Messi slides to save the ball. And of course, he hits a perfect one-time pass to back to Busquets, right? Like, that's the other thing that I just tried. He like slide tackles and it, it's just, like a perfect pass, <laughs> right? Then Busquets, Busquets find Messi back in the right corner where he lulls Marcelo again. And he did this move on Marcelo where he kind of f- like faked it. He was going to go back to the middle, but he popped the ball up with his left. And Marcelo was kind of, I think he's obviously already tired at this point. And he dove at Messi's feet and he basically took off one of his boots, right? And Messi, like nothing, you know, like just a kid in the streets, he continues his run and he plays the ball across to Vidal. Vidal hits it one time. It slips through all the traffic and it's a goal. And there are so many pictures, Brian, so many pictures on Twitter where it has the team celebrating and there's like the boot (laughs) in the background on the grass, you know, or like someone highlighted his sock. You know what I'm saying? Because only Messi does these things that some other players would have just stopped or not done what he did. And he just continued. And it's just game set Guillermo on that. Right. Like even Alex Vidal scored a goddamn goal in the Classico. Yeah. Like, what can you say? What can you say? What can you say, Brian? Like, this whole six months. Like, after we... The only thing missing was, like, Arda Turan, like, making a hat-trick <laughs> in this game or something like that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, everyone that we did not want on this team did something in this match and this season, and now we are... We have the lead. I don't know if Val Green is a snake charmer. I don't know what his deal is or what... I mean... He has to be the one responsible for all this, for the, you know, all of it. He really does, because we had more or less the same team last year with Luis Enrique. But we I, we didn't have the leadership, and we didn't have the tactical acumen of Val Green. He has really shown himself to be a top-class, top-class manager and tactician. Exactly, and, and that's the thing is that he keeps every team guessing going forward. You know, every team doesn't know if he's going to do a 4-4-2 four two three one if we're going to do this if we're going to do that and that's for me one of the keys going forward when we, especially going through the champions when we play these teams that are equally as talented as when we can have these just tactical adjustments like this so that third goal for me was just great i was able to listen to it and the people were going crazy and again i just love how happy it makes the team i love how quiet the bernabeo gets i love watching the youtube reaction videos of madrilistas crying and being sad about it because messi owns the bernabeo i'm sorry he just owns it i mean he has more victories there than ronaldo in the in these classical you know matches it's just insane (laughs) that's a good point all right so let's let's do man of the match 
Why don't you go first? All right. So I know we can't pick Messi, but I just have to say, for me, if I if we had an option, it, Messi would be my man of the match. Just a goal and assist in this in this game. Again, he comes up again in the big matches. Another moment for him. Another classical moment. But again, I I can't believe I'm going to do this. <laughs> Polly, Polly's my man in the match, man. <laughs> Polly, <laughs> come full circle, I, I, man. I, just, I, I, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe it. I mean, everyone for me had a great match. I mean, from Rakitic to Busquets to Alba, I think everyone had one. There, I think everyone was really focused, even though there was the one o'clock start time, as I've talked about. Everyone was focused, but for me, I think Paulinho kind of set the stage. I, I think he surprised Ramos a couple times. He started the the attacks on goal with his volley, the shots. Again, the, with the, he contributed the second goal because he was in the right moment, because he hustled, because he ran from the box to box. He got Carvajal that red card, and again, I just think he is just. I I cannot. I just cannot. Oh my gosh! I can't believe he's my man of the match in this Classico, <laughs> but he is. He is my man of the match. Mark it, and we're gonna we're gonna go back all the way to episode fifty, and even before. Next week, we're going to do a, like our clip show. We're going to track this progress of particularly what you've had to say about Polly. And I think this is actually exactly the way that that story should end. You know, here he is, your man of the match from the Classico. I mean, what can you say, right? I mean, I mean, you go from top to bottom, you know, Ter Stegen, great. I mean, everyone had a great game. Vermeulen, great game, right? Like, probably their best performance. But for me, again, Paulinho has just been, especially in this match, like, He's the guy that I would represent for Barcelona to go box Ramos. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the guy I would pick. And for some reason, he has worked really well with Suarez. He knows his role. And he just gives us a totally different dimension. And that's why Pauly is my man of the match other than Messi. So, yes, market, mark, market zero, yeah. dude. Market <laughs> 10. <laughs> well, Bravo. Well, I, I, no big surprise to you. My man of the match is Sergi Blue Eyes. And for all the reasons that I've already talked about, I mean, of course, you know that I have all kinds of biases uh, towards him. Uh, it seems like more and more when I see him play, I see more and more Chavi in him. And you know how much I love Chavi. Uh, just the, his ability to possess the ball and his vision to see ahead of the play, see how the things are developing and the spaces he gets into, and it's still a situation where I think some teams don't take him as seriously as maybe they should just yet, so he's able to take advantage of that. Or maybe there's just something about the way he carries himself on the field where he can catch you out and surprise you, because he's also a surprising player at times. Of course, I'm looking at him a lot because he's one of my favorites, but I so I see what he's doing, but I think in the uh, in the run of things, there are definitely moments where he sort of can become unnoticed. He starts to fly under the radar a little bit, and that's exactly when he comes out and he finds the space and he makes a perfect pass to tear you apart. Now, of course, everything he did on that first goal, from starting the whole thing to finishing it off with that final pass to Suarez. For that alone, he's my man of the match. I think because when you look at him, he's not physically imposing, right? He's not a person that you see and you're like, yep, that guy's a midfielder for a professional football <laughs> team. But when you watch, well, I'm just, you know, that's just the truth, right? But when you watch him play and the way his movement, his understanding of tactics, and especially the way he does these runs from, you know, like in the first goal, 
like how he's able to find himself in the right spot there's something to it it's not just luck it's also just the understanding of the of of football and also the way he possesses and he understands the tiki taka he understands the passing he brings so many intangibles to the match that you have to have him in the starting 11 and i'm glad to have him back in the, from injury because he is an important player he is the future of barca and i you know i can't be happier for his performances in the last classicos because he has really rose in his game for these classicos if you look back in the last four he's had a hand in a lot of these amazing spectacular goals that have happened so it's not just a coincidence and you know i'm i'm sure that um you know you guys will be very happy together you and blue eyes <laughs> so i'm glad you guys you know you have your man crush as your man of the match yeah and i think he and i are going to have uh, many years together as uh, as player and fan i can see that i can see that a long-lasting a long-lasting fandom Yes. So we're a couple of games shy of actually being halfway through the league, but Barcelona is riding high on top of the table. Nine points clear of Atletico. We did get some help from Espanyol and Villarreal. Espanyol beat Atletico and Villarreal beat Valencia in this last week. So that leaves us with a top five of Barcelona at 45 and then Atletico nine points behind at 36 Valencia at 34, Real Madrid 31, and then Sevilla just two points behind Real Madrid at 29. So we could possibly see Real drop to fifth place in the coming weeks. Could you imagine if they don't make Champions League and they get kicked out by PSG? Oh my god. That would be so good. That would be, <laughs> that would be like the best Christmas gift ever. Like seriously. Oh my God! Could you imagine that if they slipped to fifth place? I mean, it's not it's not impossible, and they get knocked out by PSG, they would have to go through the Europa League route. Oh, oh <laughs> my God! <laughs> that would be priceless. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, honestly. But just the fact uh, that yeah, it yeah. could—that it's so close to yeah, maybe yeah. happening—I mean, that's definitely something we have to monitor because you know. Uh, Valencia, Villarreal, they, those are teams that don't really have other uh, expectations, right? They're really focused on La Liga, and so we never know what can happen, but man, that would be, would that be incredible? They become, they were back-to-back Champions League going to, like, not qualify? It? Oh my god. Do Florentino Perez would have some major heads to roll on that. that well, I'm wondering if, well, like you said, maybe people don't care so much about La Liga, the, the Madridistas, but, but I'm wondering if, uh, if Perez might be coming up against some, some, a lot of harsh criticism now, even, even now. No, I think he'll be okay, be, just because of the recent success. And again, like when I was watching, there's these crazy-ass uh, sports shows that I told you about, and they were going nuts on Saturday, crucifying Zidane and his tactics and stuff. Like this Madrid guy was like almost crying, and, and it's insane. You know, they're too high of expectations. You can't win everything. You know, it, does, it doesn't matter if you're a Madridista or, or a Kule. We just can't win everything. Obviously, we would like to. And in this, these past two months, we have been playing better than Madrid. Again, back in August, they were killing us. So it just it's cyclical, and that's just how it goes. So hopefully we can just ride this to our Champions League because I really want Champions League. I love Champions League, and I want that title. Yeah, I want it bad too. Okay, well, 
Uh, again, we're going to be back next Wednesday with a special holiday break episode. And then after that, we're going to be coming back to releasing on Mondays as usual. Yeah, we'll be recording in our ugly Christmas sweaters and having some eggnog while we do this holiday break special. <laughs> yeah, I'll get all warm. I'll get the fire going. You'll hear the fire in the background. It'll be very cozy. Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson. The music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means, that's right, folks, this is a two-man show. Be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit us at barsatalk.net to find your preferred method of contact. And if you want to support the show, click on the support button in the show notes for this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.